Have you ever found yourself wondering about the role that Canadians played in old-time radio? Well, wonder no more. During the next 60 minutes, we'll delve into the careers of actors, writers, and directors who went abroad to find work, as well as those who stayed right here in Canada. Join me as together we explore Canadians in old-time radio. Welcome to the first edition of Canadians in Old Time Radio for 2015. We have two 15-minute shows from our Made in Canada file. The first is from February 24th, 1961. It's an episode of Rawhide, and it's entitled Max Ferguson Spoofs Fluoride. And then we have an episode of Tommy Hunter and his pals. Good evening, it's old Rawhide from CBC Toronto, the Friday edition of the Rawhide Show. I don't know how excited the rest of the country would be over such a news story as received headline play here in Ontario this week, but you people from coast... Oh, it's no longer from coast to coast, from west coast to Newfoundland... We'll probably someday be facing this news yourself. And I'm referring to the Royal Commission's findings and recommendation on the contentious question of fluoridation in our water. They've come up with overwhelming evidence that no longer need little children's teeth fall out by the age of seven, that they can do something about it. It's still going to be up to local bylaws to be passed. It might drag on for another couple of years or so, but at least... There's a little uh, ray of hope on the horizon. Gordon Sinclair will shoot me for this. He's the main opponent of against fluoridation. But uh, today we're going to send Marvin out. He's out at one of Toronto's intersections downtown. And we're going to just try to find out. As I say, it's a contentious question. We want to hear what Canadians and what people here in Ontario are thinking of this finding of the Royal Commission, which seems to strongly support fluoridation. So, Marvin, over to you. Thank you, Rawhide. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Marvin Bellabel, CBC Roving Reporter. And it's roving I am right now, up and down here on this corner of Bloor and Young, the pulse of Toronto, well-known old landmark for all those who have ever been in Toronto. And it's here that we're expecting, ladies and gentlemen, to get opinions from average people, men on the street, concerning fluoridation. Excuse me just a moment. Sir, over here, please. Thank you very much. Gentlemen is coming over. Uh, sir, I'd like your views on this recent finding of the Royal Commission on Fluoridation. How do, how do you feel about this? Wow, I can take it or leave it. Oh, I mean, uh, it don't affect me one way or the other. All the uh, people going crackers over this, I don't really care. Ah, I lost all my teeth when I was 14. Goodness gracious, you lost your in uh, an accident, a fight? Ah, rotten. All of them, how they was rotten, all fell out. Uh, it's in the old country. All of them fell out. But I didn't feel badly about that. I think teeth are highly overrated. You you feel that teeth are overrated? Ah, yes. 
I never miss my teeth, because it's all you got your gums, you see. Your gums are just as good as teeth. Well, if you feel that, sir, I was wondering how gums could ever take the place of teeth. Well, I started developing my gums when my teeth fell out. All little rotten brown little teeth I had. Oh, there was a ugly looking sight. And I started working on me gums. Uh, I think the doctor calls it calcifying. Ah, calcifying your gums. Hardening them up. Hardening your gums so they'll chew for you. And during the Great War, when I was with the Gloucestershire Regiment, all through Arras and Armentiers and all them places, I lived on our tacking bully beef. Now I used to gnaw at her. And uh, for a while there, it was kind of painful. But I got thrown away to die. So I stand here before you. I got gums here all crack nuts. Ah, they'll crack walnuts and hazelnuts. There, put your finger in soft mouth of uh, I'll, I'll take your word for it, sir. Ah, come on. Put your finger in there. I'll come down on your finger with my gum tire. That'll give you a start, all right. Ah, I got I got gums like two pieces of rock. I, I see. So you've made your gums then. Uh, take the place of the teeth which you lost at 14. Oh, I have that, I have. Here, try, look now, put your finger... Oh, no, no, I'll, I, I'll take your word for it, sir. Well, uh, then you aren't too excited about uh, fluoridation. Oh, I don't know what they're all going crackers about. Over Waste of time and money, I says. Well, I, I don't know whether that is quite fair, sir. They've estimated that to fluoridate the water here in the Toronto area, the metropolitan Toronto area, would cost only, I think it is, seven cents per person per capita. Per annum. Are you finished purring? Yes, I, I am. Well, don't tell me that now. I know a few things. That I wasn't bored yesterday. They'll teach your mother to suck eggs, I says. You know, if they're going to fluoridate the water here, you know what they're going to do? I'm no great shakes on geography, but I know where Florida is, and it's hundreds of miles away. If they're going to floridate the water, they're going to put a pipe all the way from Florida up to Toronto. That's a lot of pipe, and by the time it's going to cost a lot of money. Well, I don't know why they want to bring in water from Florida. I like Toronto water. I like the taste of it. And I, I think it's crazy floridating water. Canada for Canadians, I say. What's wrong with their own water? Bring it all up by pipe from Florida. Well, oh, my dear, I never touch a thing. No, my life. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much, sir, for your views. We haven't got off to much of a flying start, ladies and gentlemen, but we would like to continue sounding out these people here on the Toronto, on the corner of Florida, Young in Toronto, their views on fluoridation. Uh, Jay, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Boster, please. Hello, ma'am. How are you? It's good you come over here for a moment, sir. Jay Philip Boster, MP with Barr. Well, a great pleasure to be talking to you, Mr. Mullivell. Uh, Mr. Buster, we are asking people their opinions on this uh, Royal Commission finding, which seems as though it would pave the way for the fluoridation of water in this area. What are your views? I don't like fluoridation of water, Mr. Mullabell, and I don't mind saying it right here now. I've said it before the House of Commons, and I've said it at cocktail parties. I'm, I'm sorry. <clears throat> I've said it at get-togethers. I'm against fluoridation because I think it defies the principle of democracy. It's the usurping of the individual's right. How, how, how would you justify that remark, that it usurps the individual's right? Well, it takes away your freedom of choice, Mr. Malabell. If a father wants his child to have rotten teeth, that's his privilege. Freedom of choice. It's the same thing as these stop signs. Uh, do you, what do you mean, the traffic signs? That's right. They annoy me. 
I, I, I think they rob the individual of, of civil liberty, the right to decide for yourself. When I approach an intersection, I like to say, will I go through or won't I go through? That's democracy. That's living, throbbing, vital democracy. And these stop signs, this fluoridation telling you you've got to have good teeth, I think it's robbing you of civil liberty. I, I think it's autocratic. And in these dark days, ladies and gentlemen, when democracy is on trial before the world, we should avoid all these things that rob us of our freedom of choice. Fluoridation, stop signs, pasteurized milk. I could go on and on and on. I, I see. So you would then go on record as being against fluoridation? I would indeed, not just for the civil liberty angle, but also, Mr. Malabell, they tell us that fluoridation in the water hardens the teeth at their dentine and, and the plop. A polyp. Yeah, all that stuff in the tooth there, the animal, hardens it. The little children drinking this water... How do we know, Mr. Malabell? How do we know that this same fluoridation which is going to harden the teeth won't harden the brain? I don't know. I'd never thought of it that way. No. Canadians aren't thinking of it that way. But I can visualize now a very severe threat to Canada because these little children now, in my time and in your time, are going to be voting children, voting children, voting Canadians. The greatest kind of Canadians are voting Canadians. And I'm afraid that if their brains are going to harden the way their little enamel on their teeth does, we're going to have a generation of rockheads. Rockheads, Mr. This may cost me votes. Uh, every fluoridation that's put in the water now may be a lost vote for me. And I'm against fluoridation. Well, thank you for your views, Mr. Buster. As usual, very clearly and adroitly put forth. Not at all. Very pleased to have this chance to speak to the people of Canada, glorious folk Canadians, on this question of party. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Buster. Mr. J. Philip Buster, MP with Barr. Now, we have yet to hear from the distaff side. There's a little lady over... Could you please... That's right. She's a very sweet-looking little lady coming over to our microphone. How are you? I'm not so bad, thank you. It's a lovely spring evening. Yes, it's very warm and spring-like here in Toronto. Madam, we would like to ask you your views on fluoridation. I believe you've read about the the Royal Commission. Oh, I read about it in the paper yesterday or the day before. Yes, I actually, I think it was the day before that it made the headlines in the Toronto papers. How do you feel? Oh, I feel rotten. You feel rotten? I've never felt as poorly in my life. From that very first day, what was it, the Wednesday of this week? Yes, I believe it was. My asthma's come back. My catar, that's like a running nose, you might say. You understand? Yes, catar, you have that? Oh, dear. I've had pains in my knees. I've had all kinds of aches and pains down my back. My back teeth have been paining me. I've had headaches. And this is... Oh, it's just been terrible. I think it's a dreadful thing putting that fluoridation in the water. Uh, excuse me, madam. The, the fluoridation has not gone into the water yet. It was just the Royal Commission's report on the fluoridation. You're not joshing me. No, no, no. There's no fluoridation in the water at the moment. Oh, I thought it was in the water. I thought you'd been drinking it for the past two days. No, no, you, I'm afraid you wouldn't have consumed any fluoridation yet. Oh, but you know I'm starting to feel better already. Ah, hey, the pains are coming out of my legs. 
I'm a box feeling fine, and I'm no sniffing as much as I was. I'm awful glad to hear that. I thought they put it in the water already. No, 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 they haven't. You're quite free so far. Oh, it's funny what the power of suggestion will do. Yes, it is. Thank you very much, though, madam, for your views. Not at all. Goodbye, dear. Little lady. A few psychosomatic aches and pains. I guess she thought she had been drinking uh, fluoridated water. Uh, gentlemen over here, sir, could we have a word with you, please? Good evening. Good evening. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. I'm with the CBC. Yes, you looked as if you did. Belong? Uh, how do you mean? Oh, you just have that uh, CBC look. That aggressive look. That on-your-toes, up-and-no-nonsense look. Oh, I see. Thank you very much. Yes, I am a CBC uh, roving reporter, sir, and we are questioning people on this business of fluoridation, in particular the Royal Commission's report, a uh, favorable report uh, this week. What are your views on fluoridation of water? Well, I don't mind saying... <clears throat> excuse me? I'm a pharmacist. Oh, are you? I'm sorry, I forgot to ask you that. Yes, I'm a pharmacist, and I think it's a crying shame. I read the figures on If they're going to fluoridate the water here in Toronto, I read that it's going to cost seven cents per person per capita. Yes. You, you, you think this is exorbitant? Oh, mercy, No. But I think this is just a shocking thing to let that forward. Here is a chance to make a killing, and they're just going to let it go at seven cents per capita. That's disgraceful. This fluorine could be solidified, a little coloring put in with it, put it in a little bottle, a nice little label on the front, put an expensive-looking little cork in it. You could charge $15 for three of these little things. These little put it in pill form. What a fortune to be made here, and to let it go for nothing. I, I see. You, you object, then, to the... Uh the low cost of fluoridation. Oh, I think it's a crying shame. Goodness, if I had that franchise, what? Well, you know what we're doing with penicillin? Let me tell you the profit we're making on penicillin. Well, thank you very much. I think you've made your point, sir. We've been talking to a pharmacist here in Toronto. Just a crying shame. There's money to be... Oh, thank you, sir. We don't want to get too commercial on the air. Uh, now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm just going to look around and see if we can perhaps get somebody else here. <coughs> oh, good heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, I... There is a little, it's rather embarrassing, there is a little person here, much smaller than anybody I've ever seen. Uh, hello. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to have to bend down with my microphone. He's here on the street, on the corner of Bloor and Young, and he's so small, I'm going to bend down. I'm sorry, would you repeat that? I merely said, how are you? Uh, I'm fine, thank you. We are talking on the radio. Yes, I gathered that. Uh, asking people their views on fluoridation. Would you like to express your views? I would like to say that my friends and I are in complete accord with fluoridation. I see. Because in every business transaction, the precept to follow is proper value for money spent. And for years, my friends and I have been lifting up pillows and putting dimes underneath and getting nothing back but rotten little brown cracked holy teeth. And dimes are very hard to come by when you are a little person. Now at last, thanks to fluoridation, we may get a fair deal. Good teeth in exchange for dimes. I see. Well, I, uh... Thank you.
Canada. It's the music of Tommy Hunter and his pals. Brought to you by CBC Radio in association with your local station hosts. And here's Canada's country gentleman, Tommy Hunter. It's just my funny way of laughing. Yes, my funny way of laughing. Your leaving didn't bother me. It's just my funny way of laughing. Yes, my funny way of laughing. I'm really happy as can be. If you see me with a great big smile at some party where the fun runs wild and tears start to flow and I fall apart, please don't think you've broken my heart. It's just my funny way of laughing. Yes, my funny way of laughing. You're leaving didn't bother me. It's just my funny way of laughing. Yes, my could be due to a vitamin deficiency or a lack of iron in your blood or both. And Geritol gives you both vitamins and iron to improve iron-poor blood and help you feel stronger. Working through the bloodstream, Geritol carries its vitamins and iron to every part of the body. Just two Geritol tablets or two tablespoons of Geritol liquid contain five vitamins including thiamine, riboflavin, and niacinamide plus the essential iron you may need daily. Aren't you too young to feel so tired? Check with your doctor. And if you feel tired because of a vitamin shortage and iron-poor blood, take Geritol to help you feel stronger. Ask your druggist for Geritol. It's Canada's favorite tonic. Here are Mike Mark and Jack, the Rhythm Pals, with Eddie Arnold's fine theme song, Cattle Call, boys. Thank you. 
sheds in the sun till his day's work is done as he rounds up the cattle each fall. song, uh, I believe Eddie Arnold uh, sang it in a movie. Yes. And I believe that Jenny, Jenny Lou Carson was also featured in that movie. Yeah, you're right. I think it goes back about, oh, 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> At least. Bill, this is a, a very special day for the whole world. How about telling us a little bit about it? Right, Tom. 17 years ago today, the United Nations General Assembly proclaimed the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, one of the most impressive documents of our time which stated that all human beings are born free and equal in dignity and human rights. They are endowed with reason and conscience and should act towards one another in a spirit of brotherhood. The Declaration goes on to list the rights. Security of person, health, education, equal justice before the law, the right to privacy, freedom of movement, freedom of thought, and many, many others. Now we know, Tom, that 17 years later, these rights have not all been achieved throughout the world. We still have a long way to go to provide even minimal health and education services, to name only two. But enormous studies have been made, and on this anniversary of Human Rights Day, we'd all do well to point with pride to the work of our United Nations in this, the most vital area of all, the field of human dignity. Thank you very much, Bill. And maybe if more people in our part of the world thought like that, There'd be even greater progress in the less developed areas of the world. And now here's Mark Wald, his accordion, all the boys in the band. Do the polka Marie. Mark, One, count it two.
much. How about that? Mark Wald and his accordion and the polka marie. And now, once again, it's time for a local station break. Say, I noticed that item there in the window. Yes, sir. What's the price? It's marked right here. Good. That's what I wanted to spend. Made in Canada? That's right. I'll take it. You'll be happy with it. And you'll help a lot. How's that? Shop Canadian. Every time you make a purchase, you're helping employment and yourself. I didn't realize how much I was needed. Everybody needs somebody. When price and quality compare, consider shopping just a little bit more Canadian. You'll help keep a good thing going. Made in Canada. I'll take it.
that's our song of inspiration for today. Just time to remind you that there's uh, two weeks from tomorrow is Christmas Day. And uh, that we'll be back again on Monday. So on to then, this is Tommy Hunter. Have yourselves a real good day. Be the good Lord willing, we'll be talking to you real soon. Bye-bye, everybody. Pals, produced by John Catalog with technician Norm Todd, are brought to you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday by CBC Radio in association with your local station hosts. Turning to our Canadians Abroad file now, we have an episode of the Adventures of Christopher London, featuring Glenn Ford, who was born near Quebec City. The episode is from February 5th, 1950, and it's entitled Missing Heiress. The National Broadcasting Company presents Christopher London, created especially for radio by the most widely read mystery story writer in the world, Earl Stanley Gardner. Produced and directed by William N. Robeson. And starring, Mr. Glenn Ford. I am Christopher London, private investigator and sometimes student of the teachings of the Orient. In the faraway monastery of the moon of yesterday in the hills of western China, I learned many things. I like to think that one of them was tolerance. But I find it hard, hard to be tolerant of greed and murder. Yet any man who agrees to look for a beautiful missing heiress along the San Francisco waterfront is asking for trouble. And usually he gets it. In this case, it was me, and I got it. It started in the lavish Knob Hill home of Arthur J. Manners, attorney at law, where I had been invited on a professional basis. Fix up your drink, London? No, thanks. I asked you to come here because I didn't want to talk about this thing at the office. Oh, that's a nice place you have here. Awfully nice. Oh, it's too big. Too expensive. Now, first I'd better show you the young lady's picture. Mm. To Arthur, my dear friend and guardian, Helen. Oh, she's a beautiful girl, Mr. Manners. Ah, too beautiful. Too rich. Too spoiled. From the time her parents died five years ago, Helen Falconer has been a constant worry to me. And now this. This time, I'm really worried. Now, let's see. He said a week ago she arrived on the plane from Mexico. Yes, for her first visit in more than a year. She wired me when to expect her, and she was on the plane. I checked. I found somebody who remembers seeing her get into a dark blue sedan. And that's all, and then she disappeared, vanished. And just when I have to produce her in court next week for an accounting of my guardianship. What about relatives, friends? No living relatives and no friends in San Francisco. She's never here for more than a few days at a time. Doesn't live anywhere for more than a couple of months at a time. The French Riviera, Rio, New York, Acapulco. Only time I know where she is is when she wires me for money. Well, you've checked the hospitals, I suppose, and the morgue. Certainly. Why haven't you gone to the police? Afraid to. That's why you're here. Now, where did I put that? Uh... Oh, here, you better take this. A driver's license. Yeah, she applied for it last time she was here. Age, height, hair, eyes, and so on. Thumbprint, signature. Might help. It might indeed. You'll know her by a ring she wears. She never takes it off. 
antique emerald ring. Heavy gold setting, stone engraved with a serpent and an arrow. Find that ring and you'll know who it is even if she has her head in a sack. Yes, come in. There's a Mr. Lawrence Scoville. Oh, tell him to go away. I'm busy. I said I'd call him if I heard anything. Yes, sir. Oh, Scoville. I should have told you about him, London. Claims he's engaged to Helen. Met her recently in New York. Well, maybe, maybe not. Says she wired him she was coming and to meet her here in San Francisco. Spends his days mooning around my office. I wish he'd go back to New York. He gets on my nerves. Well, maybe I'd better start by seeing him. No. That's just a waste of time. He doesn't know a thing. You interest me, Mr. Manners. Have you changed your mind about wanting me to locate this girl? Changed my mind? No. Why? Because you're stalling. I... Yes, I suppose I am. But it's because I'm worried. I don't know how much I should confide in anybody. In that case, we're both wasting our time. Goodbye, Mr. Manners. Now, wait. No, London, sit down. Please. All right. I have reason to believe that Helen has involved herself in some sort of a smuggling operation. For the thrill of it, nothing more. That may be that the headquarters of this gang is at a waterfront dive named El Toro or El Torero, something of the sort. Mind you, I don't say it's true, but it, it may be true. Now, you must have some reason for believing it. Well, I'm not at liberty to give my reasons. I, I merely warn you that searching for her may lead you into some danger. Well, in a way, Mr. Manor's danger is my business. I'll keep in touch with you. Well, now, I'll say this. Nobody ever began a search for a missing girl with more clues. A waterfront dive named El Toro. El Torero, or something of the sort. Now, it wasn't in the phone book, but I thought I knew how to find it. You take a stroll along the Embarcadero in the fog and you might find anything. Huh. I'm sorry. It's okay. I didn't hurt you, did I? No. This fog is pretty thick, isn't it? What's the matter? You lost? Well, in a way. I was looking for a place. Uh, I forget the name. Stupid. Yeah. What you want there? Oh, a drink. I... Don't mind if I do. Well, fine. Let's go. Oh, yes, I remember it now. Oh, that's swell, honey. El Torero. El Toro. That's it. A joint. Strictly a dive. Well, you know where it is? What do you want to go there for? Well, I told you. Yeah. You said a drink. What is it really? A dame? Mm, maybe. You were uh, going to buy a drink anyway. Well, certainly. Okay, honey. Only no dame you're looking for is going to be at El Toro. I'm going to sit at a table. Uh, sure. How about right here? Huh? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I get the chair. Hey. Now that I see you in the light, you know you ain't a bad-looking guy. What's your name? Smith? Yeah, Smith. Huh. I thought it was. I'm Babe. What'll it be, folks? Make mine a ginger bourbon. I think you can find an El Toro or its equivalent on any dockside in the world. The retreat of the happy companions in Hong Kong was another El Toro. And the sanctuary of the affectionate friends in Shanghai was another. El Toro. 
A small, dark place within the sound of the sea, where men speak in low voices to each other of their plans and schemes to catch fortune by the tail. In the small, dark place, there were seven or eight seafaring men, a couple of women sitting together, quietly, waiting, I think, for something that would never come. Well, there was a piano player, a bartender, and a waiter, and babe and me. At another time, perhaps El Toro would have been raucous with the sounds of fighting and of laughter, but tonight... Well, tonight it was brooding in the fog, waiting. Hey, babe, I've been looking all over for you. You found me. Uh, Mr. Smith, this is Gus. Say hello to the man, Gus. Hello, hello. Hello, Gus. Who asked you to sit down? My feet hurt. Just make port, Gus? I'm Mary Maloney. Mm. Irish ship? Greek. Mm. How long you been gone, Gus? Oh, don't you remember? I should remember how long you've been gone. i never even seen you before. Babe, listen. Get lost. I'm busy. I went up to the room before I come looking for you. I brought a case of some kind of Greek stuff. Greeks don't drink. Oh, they don't, huh? What, uh, what else did you bring? We're still married, ain't we? Who says we ain't? Yeah. I brought some perfume and stuff. Well, come on, then, you overgrown droop. Is it okay if I take a poke at Mr. Smith? Mr. Smith's a friend of mine. Oh, but, babe, I just got... Okay. Just one, though. Stand up, Mr. Smith. You're in the wrong port. It'll be a pleasure. Hey, babe. Where's my upper plate? Here, droop. Oh, that's lucky. Don't even crack. That's a nice lift you got, Mr. Smith. No hard feelings. No, not at all. Then try my lift. I don't suppose I was out more than a minute or so. But when I came to, Gus and Babe were gone. And three new customers had arrived. Two men and a girl. They sat at a table in a shadowed corner. Almost certainly the girl was the one I was looking for. Okay, mister? Right, yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. Oh, I'll clean this up. Oh, what hit me? Uh, first day's home from a voyage. Gus always does that. He don't mean no harm. What do you have? Say, those uh, three people over there, gentlemen, they just come in? Uh, oh, yeah. While you wasn't paying no attention. Uh-huh. Here's a buck. I guess you must have dropped it. Thanks. You know them? Not me, mister. I don't know nothing. Uh, do they come here very often? Oh, mister, why don't you go home? We have enough trouble around here without strangers. It just ain't healthy for strangers here. Especially strangers with noses. Noses? Which they stick into other people's business. Oh. No. why don't you go home? I recognized the girl from the photograph Manners had shown me. Although her hair was a different shade, she was heavily suntanned, and the clothes she wore left so little to the imagination that it was hard to concentrate on her face. But if I had needed further proof, I saw the flash of emerald green as she lifted her hand to her cheek. The men with her? One was Oriental, Manchurian probably. The other may have come from the Middle East. Now suddenly they seemed to come to some sort of agreement. I got up. The Manchurian spoke an inaudible word or two to the girl, and the two men left El Toro together. Well, it seemed obvious that they would soon return, so I took advantage of the moment. 
Excuse me, Helen Falconer? What? Who? You're Helen Falconer? That's what I thought you said. I never heard of her. Have you got a minute? Sit down. Thanks. Now, you don't want to change your mind. About what? About being Helen Falconer. I told you I never heard that name before. What's this all about? You know, it's funny. I got an idea that I was intended to meet you here. You were intended to meet me here? Yeah. Or, uh, Helen Falconer. Oh, we're back to that again, huh? You know, I'm getting kind of tired of Helen... What's her name already? Did you really want to meet her? Yeah. You see, she was supposed to look exactly like you. Oh, you don't know her, then? Well, a man showed me a picture. Arthur J. Manners, an attorney. And she looks like me? Exactly. Um, how do you like the way she looks? Oh, I like it. <laughs> Have you got a name? Yeah. Christopher London. I'm... Now, what difference does it make? Call me Helen if you want to. Helen... What's her name? Cigarette. Helen. Thanks. Yeah. That's a good-looking case. Gold? Hmm? Yeah, I guess so. Oh, it's shiny as a mirror. Here, take it back before it sticks to me. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, here's the light. You know, I'm wondering about you. As a matter of fact, I'm wondering about me, too. What do you mean? Well, I'm, I'm wondering if I could get up right now and walk out of here. And forget me. Yeah. Yeah, and forget you. Do you want to try not yet. <laughs> Say, that's a beautiful ring. Is it an emerald? Oh, right, it's just some kind of green stone. Hey, mind if I look at it? That's yeah. carved serpent and arrow. Well, I imagine that's pretty valuable. Aren't you kind of taking a chance wearing around a place like this? Well, I usually wear it turned around with the stone on the other side, like this. Why not simply leave it at home, then? Oh, no. I never take it off. Yeah, sort of good luck charm. Sort of. Has it brought you any? Good luck? Yeah. <laughs> All the time, Christopher. All the time. Helen. Oh, yes, that's me, isn't it? Yeah. Does the name Scoville mean anything to you? Lawrence Scoville? You know more people that I never heard of. Helen, listen. I'm serious. Now, do you know who you are? Do you know where you are? Where were you a week ago tonight? Oh, two weeks ago. Well, a month ago. Don't you know? Of course I know. Well, then where? Why do you care? Well, answer me. No. Answer me, Helen. Can't you remember? Now, where are you going? Don't come with me. Why? They'll be back soon, and I have to go. Not without me. Waiter, how much? A buck twenty. All right, here you are. Come on, Helen. Christopher, don't. Come on. Now, what are you afraid of? Christopher, can you see in this fog? Oh, not much. Neither I... can I. Hold on to me. Helen, it's important. Who are the men who are... Who are the men you are with? The men who are coming back. Hold me. No, don't you understand? You've got to answer my question. I don't know. I don't know. Hold me, Christopher. Christopher. Helen. No. You mustn't ask me anything. It's not safe. Well, if you're in danger... Then... I'm in no danger. I know what I'm doing, and I'm safe and protected. But don't ever try to find me again, Christopher, because that's dangerous for you. Worse danger than 
Fletcher. Now you, what's the date? Why, the fifth, I... You know what city you're in? Oh, San Francisco. What's your name? What? Oh, Christopher London. I think he's okay, Inspector. Oh. He started coming to a minute ago. Yeah. Hello, London. Oh, Inspector Griffith. Ooh. It's too bad you weren't here a while ago. What happened? Well, I'll tell you, I was standing along here somewhere with my arms around one of the most beautiful women I ever saw. Very funny. You didn't see who hit you? No. Might have been a sailor from somewhere in the Middle East. Maybe a Manchurian. You kill me, London. What were you doing down here? You wouldn't believe me if I told you. But I seem to have been robbed. You're surprised? Yeah, let's see my wallet's gone. Letters, cards, money. <laughs> oh, what do you know? They missed my cigarette case. Well, you can sign a report in the morning. How do you feel? Bad's bad, Inspector. Not good. Get in. We'll take you home. Want to stop the receiving hospital? Oh, that song will take care of me. Oh, yeah, that Chinese boy of yours. Is he a doctor, too? No, that song can do anything. And do it with quotations. <laughs> Say, Inspector, I'm going to ask you a favor. Yeah? Right, here's my cigarette case that those guys missed. It's got some fingerprints on it. Well, you have them checked fast. Give it to me. Not careful, careful of those prints. Huh? Tell your grandmother. You know, it takes a while. Even if I told you where to look in the file? Well, that might help. A driver's license. Issued to Helen Falconer, this city. What's the angle? Well, if there is an angle, you'll be the first to know. All right, you can let me out here. Okay. San Francisco Police, 11 p.m. San Francisco Police. Helen, F A L C O N E R. Dan, I want that cigarette case back. You'll get it after I check. As I dragged myself up to my apartment, I hoped that our song would be waiting for me with tea and many ancient Chinese quotations. He was, but he was not alone. I had a visitor in a gray flannel suit and a striped silk tie. Mr. Lundell, I'm Larry Scoville. I I wanted to talk to you about Helen Faulkner, but the way you look, I... Well, I mean, I... Well, I guess it'll have to wait until tomorrow. That's all right. (laughs) That's all right. My injuries aren't fatal. Now, sit down. I'll be with you in a minute. All right. Call me to London. I will make first aid. This warm, damp cloth will soon erase the signs of violence as the soft snow hides the scars of the gardener's toil. Is it still bleeding? There is no more blood now. May this helpless one inquire what happened? Hand me the towel. Oh, here. Thanks. I don't know our song, but I got an idea that this is not the first nor the last blood that will be shed in this case. Here you are. Has Mr. Scoville been waiting long? Not long. Yeah, that looks a little better. All right, I'll see what he wants. Oh, bring us something to drink, will you? That's all there is to it, Mr. London. I was in Mr. Manor's office and happened to overhear something that made me think he'd ask you to search for Helen. If you can't tell me anything about where she is, or if you don't know, okay, I, I understand. But can you tell me this? Is she still alive? That's no good worrying, Scoville. Now, tell me again. You say somebody broke into your room at the hotel. Now, at what time? Oh, it must have been between 8 and 10.30 tonight. And nothing was taken? Nothing at all. You're sure about Certain. it? Certain. And you've no idea what they were looking for? I can't imagine. All right. 
Uh, Scoville, have you known Helen a long time? Well, only a few weeks, really, but it was long enough for us to fall in love. Then you don't know very much about her. I mean, who her friends are or what she does here and abroad. Well, I... No, I guess that's true, but... I'll get, I'll get it off, son. Why, Mr. Manners. Good evening, London. Oh, come in. I, uh, I was in the neighborhood, and I thought I'd take a chance that you were still awake because I... Oh, Scoville. Hello. Well, you had an accident, London? No more humiliating than painful. That's nothing. Oh, sit down, sit down. Oh, no time. I'm on my way home. I, I just stopped in to tell you... Uh, this concerns you, too, Scoville. To tell you that I've seen my ward and talked with her. Oh, you did? Is she all right? Quite all right. When, when can I see her? I'm afraid... Well, I'm afraid you can't see her. She, uh... Well, the fact is, she's fallen in love with somebody else, and she wants you to forgive and forget, I believe the expression goes. No. No, I don't believe it. She's very definite about it. Now, London, I'm glad to say that my suspicions were entirely unfounded. I'll send you a check in the morning, and if you'll return that driver's license, we can consider the matter closed. I'm sorry, Manners, I haven't got the license. I lost it. Oh. Well, that's not important, then. Good night. After Manners left, I got my hat and coat, in spite of Asang's protests. And then I had trouble with Scoville. You know something about Helen, don't you? You're going out to meet her now. Scoville, there's nothing I can tell I'm you. I'm going with you. I, I don't believe Manners. I don't believe she'd do that to Oh, me. it'll be all right, Scoville. We'll talk about it tomorrow. You go back to your hotel and I'll call you there in the morning. But London, I'll... Ah, son. Mr. London, it is not for the trembling lamb to give counsel to the lion, yeah. but... Sure, sure, sure. You don't want me to go out, huh? In the night, the tender rice plants sleep. Yeah, yeah. And sleeping grows. Look, I know, I know. I'm taking the car, our song. If anybody calls, you don't know when I'll be back. I left poor Scoville standing on the street. I got my car out of the garage and headed for the waterfront. For a while, I thought another car was following me, but the fog made it impossible to be sure. I parked my car about two blocks from El Toro and started to walk up the Embarcadero. I thought I heard steps behind me, but, but when I halted, they halted too. Then when I started again... They started. I'd walked about a block when... Scoville. Back a block, I found a telephone at an all-night drugstore and was lucky enough to get Inspector Griffith at Homicide. Okay, London, I've got it all. Go back and wait till we get there. Now, just a second. Did you find out anything about those fingerprints? Yeah, I'll bring the cigarette case with me. Well, did the prints match? Yeah, they matched. I thought they would. So what? So now you know who um, Dame is named Helen Faulkner. Wait for us. I didn't wait for Griffith and the men from Homicide. I passed the crumpled figure that had been Lawrence Scoville, alone and shrouded in the fog. There was nothing I could do or say... I didn't pause. He had been alive, and now he was dead, but uselessly, wantonly dead. In front of El Toro, there was a taxi waiting. The door was open. A girl came out, her face concealed by a veil. But I saw a flash of emerald green as she entered the cab. There was no need for me to follow her. I knew where she was going. I knew where she had to be going. 
And I was sure that with some fancy illegal driving, I could get there first. I parked my car in the shadows. A taxi pulled up not more than a minute later. I followed her up the gravel walk as quietly as I could and stood behind her as she knocked on the door. Yes? Arthur, what happened? I was... I'm right <gasps> behind you. Well, shall we go in? Uh, what is this? Did you come here together? Close the door, Manners. This is no time for jealous quarrels. Well, now, what is this, London? What do you want? I want to make amends for the death of a young man who died because I unconsciously led him to his murderer. We were in Manners' elegant study, the three of us. A girl, still beautiful, but pale and tense. Arthur J. Manners, attorney at law, calm now, almost too self-assured. <laughs> and Christopher London, who probably looked as if he'd spent a night in a bowling alley as a stand-in for a ten-pin. Now, Manners was being pleasant. Oh, I'd never seen him quite so pleasant. Well, I'm glad that you and Helen could meet here. We met at El Toro. With the briefing you gave me, I couldn't have missed her. You arranged our meeting... You wrote the script and directed the play, but you didn't figure on this ending. Christopher, listen to me. What's your name, Helen? Uh, Arthur, what's he talking about? What do you mean, London? If you've got anything to say, say it. She's Helen Falconer, you know that. Christopher, I, I can explain about those awful men at El Toro, but it was just a silly... I don't know, I, I get into things like oh, that. Oh, you fools. Don't you see how transparent you've been, how clear as glass? Get out of here. Get out, man, sit down. That's better. Now, let's talk. Helen Falconer was your ward. You managed her estate. She was out of the country most of the time, and your expenses were heavy. A house like this costs a lot to buy and to live in. And a girl like this runs into money, too. I think you've been taking Helen Falconer's money for a long time. So at last she became suspicious and decided to fly up from Mexico for an accounting. Well, that's true, Christopher, but I was wrong. Oh, no, very wrong. Now, wait. Apparently you've got the absurd idea that this girl is not Helen Falconer. Well, would a fingerprint prove it to you? Not on a driver's license, nor a cigarette case. You know, it was a smart idea having your girlfriend apply for a license under the name of Helen Falconer... But it only proves the murder was well-planned and long-premeditated. You, you, whatever your name is. Christopher, please. Is that I... your ring on your finger? You wear it constantly? You never take it off? You both told me that. Then why isn't the skin underneath the ring white? Why is it as sun-tanned as the rest of your hand? Don't try it, Manners. Don't. Christopher. Christopher. Ah, no, don't worry. I think he'll live long enough to die as the state directs. Well, I... Just did what he told me. I, I didn't know why. I, I... Will you... You believe me? Don't you, Christopher? Sure. Sure, I believe you. And I'll bet the jury will, too. I'll bet they won't give you more than ten years. Sasong, you and your revered ancestors were, well, they were so right. Oh. Yes. Greed and duplicity go hand in hand with murder. Arthur Manners killed Helen Falconer on the day she arrived from Mexico. Her body, well, may never be found. But Manners will die because he shot Lawrence Scoville. 
Uh, Scoville must have worried him. Oh, yes. The murderers must worry him. And he went through Scoville's hotel room because he was afraid the boy might have a picture of the true Helen Falconer. Then he had to kill him because he followed me. If Scoville had seen the girl I thought was Helen, well, the whole thing would have fallen apart. And the young lady? Oh, the misguided girlfriend of an attorney at law. <laughs> oh, with time off for good behavior, she will still be as beautiful when she gets out. Well, why were you called in at all? I was the patsy. If the question were ever to come up, I would have been called on to swear that I had found and identified the missing Helen Falconer and returned her to her worried guardian. That way, Manners would have gone right on receiving the money from the dead Helen Falconer's estate. Only... Only what, on, Only Manners forgot that the phony Helen Falconer's license had been issued less than six months ago. And Manners forgot that he had told me that the real Helen Falconer had not been backed in the States for more than a year. <laughs> well, our song, we wouldn't have made that mistake. No, would we? Oh, no, Mr. Lutton. <laughs> this humble one can manufacture his own official document when necessary. Yeah, you know, sometimes our song, I think, is a pity that we didn't choose a life of crime. Oh, no, Mr. London. It's very appealing, but unrewarding. Remember it is said, if a man walk even tippy-toe on road of wrongdoing, his reward surely waits him at road's end. The hangman's noose. Uh, how true. But you meet such attractive gals along the way. That was Christopher London, starring Glenn Ford and created especially for radio by the world's most widely read mystery story writer, Earl Stanley Gardner. That'll do it for this week. See you next time. Bye for now.